ESPN 97.5. Presented by Zadok Jewelers. There are jewelry stores, then there's Zadok's. KFNC, Mont Bellevue, Houston. is Moneyline on ESPN 97.5. And on ESPN 97.5.com. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here's Jerry Bow and Josh Jordan. Hour two of Moneyline. Welcome back to Moneyline on ESPN 97.5. And yeah, this is a reunion. We're back after about a three-month hiatus. The squad is here. We're accounted for at Josh Jordan 97.5, at Aaron S. Bliss, and at Jerry Bow Knows with a Z. Again, if you want to reach out to us during this show, 713-780-3776. We talked Astros. We're talking a little bit of the offseason that was with these Texans and what do we expect going forward. And that's a little bit of when I want to keep going on because we talk about Bill O'Brien. We talk about the changes that have been made. But realistically, what are expectations now? Because on paper, many are saying those weapons, if healthy, and that's another thing that we have to account for is if, big ifs, if Will Fuller was on the field 100% of the time, this team would be different. If, you know, DeAndre Hopkins was still here. Now we got a big if coming from Twitter from Lamont. He says, if the, uh, hypothetically speaking, say the Texans had beat the Chiefs and went on to win the Super Bowl, do you think Hopkins is still traded today? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, no. that's It's a yeah, really good question. No. I, I don't think he should have been in the first place. And this was my, my, my biggest problem with this trade is they're like, well, he wanted more money. You know, that's what Bill O'Brien blamed it on. Like, he wanted more money. We weren't going to be able to pay him, so we had to get rid of him. And, you know, Charlie Palillo brought this up. What, was Hopkins going to retire? He was still under, like, three years of his contract. You know what I mean? Like, you didn't have to trade him. But th- that's kind of what they blamed it on, which t- – tells me it was a personal thing is it bad timing do you think at all do, do is it you know whenever you go to ask your parents for something they're like oh, it's kind of the bad time to ask me right now i gotta you know i gotta i just paid tons so i just bought a car you know and <laughs> i'm about to have to buy a motorcycle and watson how are you gonna do me like this you gotta you got a little bit of time left on your deal trust us and that's where i think that everything broke as soon as you say just trust us we'll right. take care of you because then you look at what's happened before and as hopkins you got to say trust how do I trust you to do the right thing if I'm seeing players that should get paid not? Well, then trade me. And that's exactly what happened. Now, we talk about the, the, this, the, the length of time that it took to find a suitor for this other side of the trade. And that's what hurts because shortly after, you saw Stefan Diggs get a lot more traded for him. And meaning that Stefan Diggs is worth more than Hopkins? Not in this world. And you know what occurred to me, too, is did Bill even call the Buffalo Bills? You know, because Brian Gaines there, right? You remember Brian Gaines was the Texans' general manager, and then him and O'Brien had the fallout, and he's with Buffalo. So did O'Brien even pick up the phone and call Brian Gaines? You know, about Hopkins being available. You know that that's what concerns me is, you know, was that even talked about? Because, and that's the big problem with the Hopkins trade, right? With most Texans fans, we're upset that you traded him, but it's what you got in return. You got, you got a second round draft pick. And David Johnson, and you had to pay David Johnson the, the $11 million on his contract this year. So you say, you know, the, the Hopkins, we had to get rid of him because of money. 
And then you take a running back that's been hurt and hasn't done much since 2016, and you're going to pay him $11 million a year? Like that, that doesn't make any sense. And Hopkins is a guy, yeah, he misses some practice time, but that's because he's, he always plays for the games. He, he plays through injury. Even reports came out that he played with a, with a, with a rib, rib yes. last year. So we think about, okay, let me throw this one at you. David Johnson in today's, not because if we throw out a few years back, David Johnson versus Gurley, that was a good question then. Right. It's a good question again today in the, today's coming up season because you have David Johnson, which is supposed to get a lot of opportunity, supposedly, and then you have Gurley over there looking for opportunity. But you know what the difference is? One's getting paid in the double digits. Yeah. I mean, crazy money David Johnson's making. I mean, the Cardinals had to just be like, really? Like, they're going to pick up the... And remember when they traded Clowney to the Seahawks, the Texans sent like $7 million with him. They paid part of his salary, too. So I just... I think this is O'Brien, like... He's trying to figure out this GM thing. You know what I mean? This is new to him, and, and he's making some some mistakes that people that don't have experience make. I don't know. understand, though, the losing money aspect. Like, not only are you getting hit over the head on the trade aspect, but then you're also paying money or, or paying off contracts. It's like an ex-girlfriend, and she goes to a new relationship, and you're like, you know what? I'm going to pay for your first date. <laughs> I'm going to pay for your first date when you go with this new guy. No, we're done, and, and you weren't that great of a girlfriend. No, and— what concerns me, too, we did a sports map video about it the other day with John Granado and, and A.J. Hoffman. We talked about, are the Texans going to throw the ball more to their running backs? <laughs> we, like, we did the, the, the numbers, and between Carlos Hyde and Duke Johnson, they only had 54 catches between the two of them for the whole season for the Texans. I mean, think of Christian McCaffrey. You're a fantasy guy. He had over 100 catches by himself. Eckler had 90 last right. year. So. I mean, this is both of them put together. And we, we always talk about... You know, the Texans kind of patterning, you know, their offense after the Patriots. I mean, for years, you look at James White, he's catching 70, 80 balls a year. It goes back to Kevin Falk. Like, that's always been a huge part of the Patriots offense, right? They split that running back out wide. They get a linebacker on him, and they take advantage of the mismatch, or they throw one of those wheel routes. How many times have you seen the Texans get burned by a running back out of the backfield when they play the Patriots? So you have to wonder, where is that in Bill O'Brien's offense? So the thought is, you're bringing in David Johnson. He's really good at catching the ball out of the backfield are we going to actually see that more this year now we now we know the news of carlos hyde and he's you know with the seahawks but yep he was a north and south runner and i think that's what you needed with this team especially when you have a defense that can't get off the field you need a north and south guy a guy that can get you four or five yards move the chains on second down keep the ball out of mahomes hands that's what you needed. i'm not saying that david johnson hasn't been that but he hasn't been that for years that's obvious and Duke Johnson, eight touches per game. He's a scat back. He's a satellite He's player. always He's been. not going to be hammering it up the middle. And if you're worried about David Johnson and limiting him because you don't want to get him hurt, who's actually going to carry the ball for the Texans You know, in the running game, not passes out of the backfield? It makes me it makes me worry. Like I'm surprised they didn't even draft somebody, you know, to to be that guy. Because if David Johnson gets hurt, which he's shown he continues to get hurt, you can't run Duke Johnson 18 times a game. He's he's not that type of player. And you're gonna have to trust these guys to be efficient blockers because we know that Watson has that problem with holding the ball too long, or or you yes. know that extra second. Now on the other hand, yeah, he's gonna have the dump off option. Yeah, they're gonna be in the flats, but it's gonna be it's gonna be different now because we know that Watson. And 
How does he use Will Will Fuller the best as as a deep bomb as damn near like a checkdown? Yes. Whenever everything breaks down, he'd be looking at Hopkins. He's okay. He didn't get open. He would look over, and if he saw one on one, he'd throw it as deep as he could. Here comes Fuller, get under it. But that takes time to develop. So you need those running backs to stay in the backfield block, maybe a little chip route and go again. I just it's a lot of learning. It's yes, a new offensive coordinator is here. That gets me excited. But how much? How much room is that coordinator going to have to to call plays before O'Brien jumps in and says, let's do an O'Brienism right here. We're going to go for this and we're going to do at one point or another. He's going to hold back the training wheels. He's going to say, let's stop right here. This is what I think goes down. And that's what I don't like. I want to see it on a clean slate. That's why I wanted to see a different coach, because. I want to see what Watson could be with an Andy Reid type, and not to get, not that you're going to get Andy Reid in Houston, but someone with a offensive mind, and not the quarterback whisper that that we thought that was, you know, just because he came from the Patriots. I want someone fresh. I want one of these these bright new minds. And don't get me wrong, they're thinking they got that in the new offensive coordinator. Yeah, Kelly, yeah. Let's see it. And it's funny you bring up the Chiefs. What are they really good at? throwing the ball to the running back. I mean, how many screen passes? And even back to the days of Brian Westbrook with the Eagles. You know, Andy Reid is great at getting those mismatches with the running backs, and that's why I want to see that with the Texans because, in theory, if their offense works, Brandon Cooks is going to be keeping safeties deep. Will Fuller is going to be keeping safeties deep. So if you get that one-on-one with the running back on a linebacker, that mismatch, you should be able to pick up some big chunks of yardage that way. And that's what concerns me, that they only had 54 catches between Carlos Hyde and Duke Johnson last year. So I want to see more of that. And here's the other thing. Quarterbacks that can run, they typically don't check down to running backs as often. Maybe yeah. tight ends or, or, or other guys, but not to running backs specifically. And here's why. They go, they go through their progressions, and if it's not there, Deshaun can just take off and exactly. get you 10 yards. And so they don't use the running backs as much, and I'd like to see them do Like, you look at Phil Rivers. Think how much he checks down to running backs. You mentioned Eckler. It's because he's a statue. He has no option. He has to check down or he's getting sacked. So I'd like to see Deshaun, you know, use that a little bit more, and that'll keep him from getting hit as much. You make a great point there. So on paper, like, how does it look? Yeah, Cooks could extend the field. Then you got Stills. Then you got Cobb working in between. Yeah. And then if you can get enough time, but we say, okay, the Texans had trouble with Watson taking sacks. It goes through those running back screens. If you allow that, how do you get a defensive line to play honest, to, to, to not be able to pin their ear back? Okay, let them through and dump it right over yes. the top of them. Now you have space if Cooks got downfield, if Steele stretched the field, if Cobb's running in between. Once that defensive line and you dump it over them and you're at the second level, now you have space. And that's what I think that they're, they're, they're hoping. They're on paper. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not trying to get up here and be Debbie Downer on the Texans. Yeah. Hey, if they're healthy, they'll be good. If they're healthy, they have a shot. They can. According to Vegas, seven and a half wins down from nine. Vegas maybe doesn't view them as to where they were viewed last year. but Or maybe the division got a little bit better, and we'll touch on that before we get out of here because maybe the division did improve in the Titans maybe getting making their name, even though they didn't do nothing that much in the offseason. They, they, they secured their guys. Yes. The Colts look different. Yep. Maybe that's the, the case, but... As far as the way that we here in Houston view this Texans roster now, it's you're never going to replace Hopkins. You're not. No. But can you use these weapons in a different way to use the best of Deshaun Watson's abilities? Yeah, you can because you need speed. Speed kills. Now, speed comes with 
Uh, I mean, it's tough because you, it, who's the number one out? Like, who is going to go out there and dominate it's, the number it's, one? Cooks played the X when he was with the Rams, the X position, which is where Hopkins played. He was your X receiver, your boundary receiver. So, And we know that Cooks played for the Patriots, right? So he's familiar with this system you know, that Bill O'Brien runs. So in my estimation, Cooks is going to be the X. He's going to play, run the routes that Hopkins did. And then Fuller will still be your move receiver at the Z. And then Randall Cobb will be your slot receiver in the middle. And NFL Network did a cool thing on Randall Cobb that he might be a great fit for Deshaun Watson because he got really used to improvising with Aaron Rodgers when Rodgers, you know, when he was with Rodgers with Green Bay. So Randall Cobb is really good at second reaction plays, you know, that the pocket breaks down and Watson's scrambling. You know, Randall Cobb is very used to just kind of making it up on the fly like he did with Aaron Rodgers. And Deshaun and Aaron Rodgers have some similarities yeah. in their game. So I think that's one of the reasons they overpaid Randall Cobb because they thought what, what he did with, with Aaron Rodgers could translate to uh, Deshaun. It sounds fantastic. Let's pray. Let's pray for uh, for health. If they can stay healthy, yeah. then you should see a decent product on the field. And these next three minutes, that'll give you some time during this commercial break to pray. You're listening to Moneyline, ESPN 97.5. <laughs> ESPS 97.5 If Pyro's and Crips all got along They probably got me down by the end of the song Seem like the whole city go against me Every time I'm in the street I hear yuck, 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 yuck. You're listening to Moneyline on ESPN 97.5 And on ESPN 97.5.com Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios Here's Jerry Bowe and Josh Jordan Welcome back to Moneyline, 713-780-3776. Josh Jordan, Aaron Rabel, and your man Jerry Bonose in studio trying to cook up some biscuits here. 45 minutes left to the end of the show. We're 17 minutes into this Bayer Leverkusen game. 0-0 is the uh, scoreboard right now. We're looking for a win, any type of win, because... I got it at one. Some got it at one and a half. So we're looking for two because that's what I'm getting right now. I dropped the pick last night in my private group, but it seems like the world agreed to me and it moved about a half a goal. Another thing that you have to be, uh, I guess, careful of whenever you're betting, not only uh, soccer, but in football. We talked earlier about how maybe a, a missing player might skew a line. Also in soccer, like waiting for the uh, waiting too long and the team gets bet on, then all of a sudden you have to, instead of winning by one goal, you have to win by one and a half, which makes it all the world different. So timing is everything, not only in life, but in gambling as well. For the rest of our time, though, I want to keep talking some football because we talked about Bill O'Brien here, right? And then we talk about how he's viewed from a perception of the national media now, finally. And then I went to Coach of the Year odds, and I started thinking, because usually when you have uh, Texans odds, it's usually the vanilla of everything, the the middle of everything, the middle tier right around 16. Sometimes you might catch them at 13, 14, like, wow, they're not a middle pack odds at whatever it is. So I went down this list, and I started thinking, where would Bill O'Brien be for 2020 NFL Coach of the Year? So I started going down, and I started seeing, like, the, the Zach Taylors of the world, Pat- Matt Patricia. I'm thinking, well, well, this must be a misprint. Where's O'Brien? And then I went and I went too fast because I missed him. So then I went again and I said, well, here's Dan Quinn, Joe Judge, Matt Nagy, Adam Gase. And then you find Bill O'Brien under all those guys and only ahead of one guy, Doug Marone. So according <laughs> to betting odds, Bill O'Brien is the second worst coach to win coach of the year. That's how he's viewed as of now. <laughs> and it's funny. We, we talk about this a lot on Sports Map. Is the, the perception of Bill O'Brien and the Texans 
is completely blown out of proportion for how bad they are, all because of this Hopkins trade. The, the overreaction to this Hopkins trade has, has made them so far down on Bill O'Brien, more than deservedly so, that you might be able to find some value in some of these bets because you know they're making the Texans seem like they're a lot worse than they really are and making O'Brien seem like a lot worse than he really is. Don't get me wrong, I'm not a Bill O'Brien fan, but he's certainly not – you know, the second worst coach in the NFL or something like that, you know, and the Texans at least have a shot at making the playoffs and having a decent season. Whereas Doug Marone, you mentioned that was blown with Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, there's no amount of money in the world where I'd bet on Jacksonville to, to be good, you know, and make the playoffs. So I don't think O'Brien deserves to be down there with, with Doug Marone, but Let's face it, you know, his image is taking a hit because of this trade and some of the other moves he's made. The clowny thing is is still out there. People still feel that way. And isn't it crazy that the Jadavion Clowney still hasn't found a job? He hasn't picked up with the team. What's yet. crazy is though he's turning down money. That's what the problem here is. And I think he needs to be in more of a prove it. Let me prove it and to, to prove to people that I am who was drafted. Because there's been talk ever since that draft pick was made that maybe he wasn't a hundred percent fully committed. But then the talk of injury and then towards the later stint of his Texans career, that should have gone away and he actually started playing. So what was the what is in question now? The amount of money he wants and that he doesn't feel that he should prove it. See, that's what it is. And the uncertainty in the markets right now, you know, because the coronavirus, you know, owners don't know for sure if fans are gonna be in the stand. So, you know, if Clowney's asking for a ton of money and the future's uncertain, a lot of owners and GMs aren't comfortable with giving him that. But, you know, we did uh we talked to Lance Zerline about this, and you know, Clowney's been working here at Plex in Houston. You know, he's with Danny Arnold and, and rehabbing and getting ready. And from what I hear, he's in incredible shape. And, and Lance said his his dad, who was a former offensive line coach, you know, was down there and saw Clowney, and he feels like Clowney's kind of you know matured a little bit and, and is really focused on on having a great year and you know really coming out strong. And you know, it makes me wonder. I'm like, as a Texans fan, I'm like, why not? See if Clowney would take a short-term deal. Pride? You know? Yeah, pride. That's why. Pride. Imagine pride having to have Bill O'Brien sitting there at a table with, with Clowney and saying, you know what, let's start this back over. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, it, maybe just you know a short-term deal because the Texans do have some, some salary cap wiggle room, at least for this year. So I mean, imagine what a difference that would make if you had you know Clowney back on the defensive line because as much as I love J.J., we just, we just don't know, you know how many games he's going to play. We just don't know. And – if J.J. goes down, man, that, that defensive line – and D.J. Reader's already gone to the Bengals. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty right there. So I think Clowney – I would consider bringing him back, but that's, that's just not going to happen. What we are certain of is the Houston Texans Super Bowl odds at plus 6,600, so 66 to 1. Uh, last year, at the same time, you could have got him at 25 to 30 to 1. So that's, I guess, where the perception is more than double. And if you want to put them around the Lions range, the Lions are right under them. They're right ahead of, I mean, even the Titans got better odds right now. See, and that's crazy to me. And I get it with the Titans, but and this is a fantasy football nugget too. Just think about how many carries Henry had last year. You know, you always hear that number with running backs where it's around like 300 touches where the next year they, they – typically fall off a little bit and remember Larry Johnson with the Chiefs you know when when he just fell off um 
it's a big number. So you could see Derrick Henry, you know, get a little dinged up this year, maybe not be as good as he was last year. So for fantasy football, he's a little risky to me. I'm not taking him in the, you know, the second round. I'm just, I, you know, we've seen it a, a, several times. You know, DeMarco Murray, remember that year he had all those carries for the Cowboys, and then the year after that, they didn't pay him. He goes to the Eagles, and, and he's banged up for that season. So be careful with these running backs that, that get worked that that much let's look at the odds in the division while we're talking about it Colts leading the way at plus 135 Titans plus 165 the Texans 300 and Jacksonville at 20 to 1 do those make sense to you because things have shifted a little bit now with the Colts odds improving do you think that they're the best team in the division going into the season oh man I it, it, you know if I had to bet right now I'd I'd probably lean towards the Titans winning the division but like I said, I just talked about Henry. I'm worried about him holding up. And if, if he's not the centerpiece of that offense, they're not the same team. With the Colts, there's just too much uncertainty for me. You know, they have a great offensive line. Don't get me wrong. I just I don't know how much Phil Rivers has left. And that's going to be a good question. Now, with the Colts also, they're also injured at the wide receiver spot a lot. As much as we talk about Fuller, T.Y. Hilton's missed quite a few games. I mean, last year we had the uh, Pascal. Remember, that there was yeah. moments where he was getting plugged and played in every lineup because he was the number one target guy there. So you look at them. The Colts, and this is what I wanted to kind of jump into as how they drafted because I like – I love their draft. Michael Pittman, which is a, a huge type of, uh, of I guess, confidence to that wide receiver group because that's he's going to be the number two. Now Campbell, Paris Campbell moves to three. And then at the running back position, Marlon Mack, yeah, he's cool. And last year you had Naheem Hines, which is more, more the little guy that you could throw it to. But now they added Jonathan Taylor, which I believe is going to be the starter by probably week four or five, or he'll be getting the bulk of the carries. I'm not sure if they're going to use a running back by committee, but I think that he'll be the guy by the end of it. Man, that team, and like you said, that offensive line's there. I like that team. It's going to, a lot revolves around what Rivers has in that arm, but we know he has a live arm. It just, a lot of his decision making got kind of poor, it seems, towards the end of that Chargers career. And you saw him just more of a hands to the head, top of the head of the helmet. He got hit a lot. Their offensive line was terrible. So this is going to be a big upgrade for him. He's going to have a lot more time with this offensive line. Colts might have the best O line in in the NFL. I mean, they're that good. And you bring up the Pittman draft pick. You know what he reminds me of? Like Vincent Jackson. Remember him? When he was with Phil Rivers, that really big body receiver that can get down the field, I think that was a really good draft pick. I think he fits what Rivers likes to do. He's I think he'll catch a lot of passes this year. And you know who else fits? Uh, tight end, Jack Doyle. Hunter Henry, Jack Doyle. And not only that, but now he has two tight ends because they picked up Trey Burton. Right, and Ebron is, is out the door. So, look, they have... They have a good. T- I think defense will be what we question with the Colts. We'll see how good they are on the defensive side of the ball, and, and with Rivers, you know, if, if he's, you know, if he's got anything left, we're going to find out. But smart decision for him. Go where a great offensive line is. You have some good weapons, and this is T. Y. Hilton. I think this is the last year of his contract. So he's going to be playing for money this year. So, you know, look for him to, to try and have a big year and get that next deal. I know whenever you look at the schedule and you try to predict, you know, a lot of people look at it and, oh, this is a win, this is a loss. Whenever you do the division, usually when you go over Jacksonville, you say win, win. Is that the case? Because yeah. it's still going to be that case? Because, I mean, Minshew came one play away from beating that Texas team. 
do, do it, does anything they do because Leonard Fournette, I would say he's a this is make it or break it time for him. And I saw a picture that I don't know if it was photoshopped or not. I but saw the same. I think it was photoshopped. Yeah, because his neck was real dark, yeah. and then his his body was small and it was lighter. And I'm thinking that's not it, but. You look at them, and now they're putting it, the keys inside, I guess, Minshew's hands, and they pick up Tyler Eifert, another guy that can't stay healthy. The wide receiver group in chart Westbrook, and then they picked up Chanel. I like that. It's not bad. I think they're tanking for Trevor Lawrence. You know what I mean? That That's where I think they're going. Minshew was better than he gets credit for last year, but I just I don't believe it with the Jags. I think they're... I think they'll be lucky to win four or five games. Is this the hardest that division's been in a few years, the AFC South? It is because, you know, you have a Pro Bowl quarterback in Rivers, and he has a good supporting cast. And say what you want about Tannehill, but, I mean, they went to New England and beat the Patriots. You know what I mean? They played the Chiefs a lot closer than the Texans did. So, yeah, I mean, the Titans are better than we think. But would I be surprised if Tannehill turns back into a pumpkin this year? No. I wouldn't be surprised if I drop about four more winners in the next 30 minutes. I'm going to drop them all. It was a 10-bet challenge Sunday, and I'm going to drop most of them here on Moneyline ESPN 97.5. ESPN 97.5. This is Moneyline on ESPN 97.5. And on ESPN 97.5.com. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here's Jerry Bowe and Josh Jordan. Welcome back to Moneyline. The phone lines are open, 713-780-3776 at Moneyline 97.5 on Twitter. If you want to reach out to us, just sitting here getting ready for the this first goal. It's always the first one's hard to get out, man, because the games are when it's a, a dominant team over a lower level or bottom table team usually a team in soccer man they sit 10 guys behind the ball and they just say man we'll absorb pressure until you break it once you break it they got to open up and look for goals and that's when you get more so we're praying for that hopefully we get one in the next 30 minutes before we get out of here if not that uh my drive home might be a, a little fast but speaking of drives I ran across this, and uh, it, it stuck out to me because during this quarantine, I've been trying to do, a, or the lockdown, I've been trying to do different things with my kids, and some sometimes I hear the uh, term, cool, man, you're a cool dad, you know, for doing little things. So then I read this, and it said, Florida man, self-proclaimed cool dad, and this is how it goes. Just after midnight Monday morning, 41-year-old Sean Michelson of, you guessed it, Jupiter, Florida, was seen in a passenger seat of a car making an illegal U-turn. When the officer attempted to pull the Jeep over, the vehicle sped off at 85 miles an hour, nearly double the speed limit. Once he finally pulled it over, the officer approached the car, and it was a 12-year-old girl driving. (laughs) This is where it gets crazy, because the officer asked the little girl why she was driving so fast first off that why are you asking the, that's not the question i'm looking at the adult in the passenger seat at first and asking what's going on here so at that point he asked him without hesitation the driver replied he told me to and the little girl points at the man and michelson uh, michelson told the cop that the little girl had asked earlier in the day to drive the jeep he thought it'd be cool and he was being the cool dad well it turns out michelson isn't even the dad He was babysitting. (laughs) Not only that, but there was another child in the car. So there was a child in the back seat, 
the driver, the 12-year-old uh, homegirl sitting in the back, you know, rooting her, her friend on, go fast. Meanwhile, these aren't even his kids. Meanwhile, the person that put the, him in charge has got to be thinking, what in the hell are you doing? This is what we get in Florida. It doesn't surprise me, but it just it, it was funny to me because I'm thinking, man, being a cool dad, that's one thing. Those aren't even your kids. <laughs> no. You you pointed it out. This doesn't get more Florida than this story. Like every little detail brings you to another like what? It's classic Florida right there. Twelve year old. You're imagine you're twelve and you've already run from the cops, you know, like driving. That it's pretty early to start out running away from the cops in the behind the wheel when you're 12 years old. Dude, that, it's Florida. It's Florida. When you learned how to drive, did your parents ever like put you in their lap and let you drive, you know, in, in a parking lot at least or something? You know, the, the, where they do the brakes, you do the steering wheel? Yeah, I mean, when I first you know, tried to learn how to drive a stick shift, I think I went to like a, a parking lot at like a high school or something and, and did it there to where you're – you know, you can't really get over like 15 miles an hour and nobody's around. You know, I'm not driving 70 miles an hour on the freeway at 12 years old. That's just crazy. Speaking of stick shift, that when I first learned, my dad was like, oh, yeah, you're ready. And we lived in, in, in on streets where they were like on an incline. And I get to that first incline not realizing, I mean, we haven't practiced for this. We uh-huh. never got we never got to this part, the what ifs. Well, we get to that incline and, you know, I put it in, in neutral and I start going back and I go right back into this other car. Oh, oh no. I'm like, come on. How are you going to blame? He, he had the nerve to get mad at me. And I'm thinking, we never read that part of the handbook. You never said, well, on a hill, this is what you do. All we did was over speed bumps in the school parking lot. You were the one that thought I was ready. Stick shift's another game, man. Yeah, for, there's still people now that don't know how to drive stick shift, and, that, and that's always been a problem. That's people would always say, um, ask my dad, "Yeah, hey, can I borrow the car? It's a stick shift. Oh no, I'm good. You know what I mean? Can I borrow the truck to move some? It's a stick shift. Oh, I'm good. No, that's the best way to do it, right there. I, I have a single cab pickup truck, and it's great because. People are never like, hey, can I ride with you? Because I can only fit one person in the car. So it gets me out of having to be the the taxi driver and drive all my friends around because I got a single cab pickup, man. Let's get back to some basketball. And you make a a great point here, and it's something that relates to, to a little bit of all the sports and injuries. Now, Donovan Mitchell has come out on these meetings between players and, and he's expressed his concern. There's different concerns between the NBA players. One of them being his, as far as injury saying getting back to competitive games in such a short span of time after the long layoff isn't optimal for an, an athlete to avoid injury. And what if he gets injured in this little, I guess, regulated season they want to do, but then the turnaround they're saying is going to be really quick to next year's uh, NBA season. So what's the risk and is it worth the reward to go out there and try to get a tainted title per se to chase some guys that are in the last year deals of their of their contracts and that's another thing because there's a clause that comes out that if 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 the season's shut down and doesn't finish for an unforeseen uh, unforeseen circumstance there's a special clause that comes into play that basically kills off a lot of the 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 rules that are going forward, the the extensions for players in their last options of the years uh, of their contracts, a lot of things and implications going forward for a lot of teams, and especially the guys that don't get paid much, they need this money to to you know to fulfill their contracts. The guys that are paid and have endorsements, they're not too worried about it. But then we remember we heard about Lillard, and he said, you know, we're playing for nothing. What's my point of being out there? As soon as they said, well, we're going to throw in teams to be able to get the AC, one all of a sudden they're in. 
It's just we have to find a common ground. Where do we find it? It's tough, but to me, it's not a tainted championship, and here's why. that The playoff series are going to be the same amount of games that they would normally be. You know, MLB's talking about the first round of their playoffs might only be a three-game series. Now, that's wow. that's very different. With the NBA, the length of the playoff series is going to be the same. So, to me, like, it's it's legit to me. You know, I, I don't have a problem with it. And they're coming back and playing, what, eight games before the playoffs even start. So, that's also a a time where these guys can kind of play their way into shape after camp as well as with the rest of those regular season games before the playoffs start. I think it's drastically different for baseball because if they're only playing 50 games, you know, that's, I mean, that's nothing. One little injury. Yeah. You pull your hamstring and you miss two weeks. Think how much two weeks is of your season. If that, if that's maybe you missed maybe 12 or 13 games out of 50. That's huge. You know, baseball, it's going to be kind of like the NFL to where, Every game matters. If you go on some losing streak, that's killing you. And for the Astros, I love this because you're really depending on Justin Verlander and Zach Greinke. You know, these guys are older pitchers. And if they only have to make 11 starts for the regular season, 12 starts, and then you go to the playoffs, I think that's a big advantage for the Astros. Already coming off the advantage of Verlander getting this extra time to get ready. Yes. That, it worked in the – I mean, if we really look at it, it this this pandemic and the pause and everything might have worked into the Astros' hands because of now the Yankees news coming yes. out. And like we said, the Verlander thing, it's just a shorter season maybe. I like it. I just at this point, there seems a lot of greed going on, and it's falling on the shoulders of – the the MLB because players want longer seasons so they could get paid X amount per games played. Owners are on the opposite end and saying, "Man, let's do it shorter. Let's do it like this." I don't know when they're going to come into. Uh, what do you think, Aaron? What do you, what side do you uh, land on here? God, I mean, sorry. The reason I was reacting is uh, I thought you had your goal, but it was called offsides. Ah, uh, so close. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, but no, on I, I don't because a lot of people are in, in in the MLBPA is coming out now and they're dropping reports saying statements, not report statements saying we're ready, give us the place, time, and and we'll be there. Yep. But MLB has been so sketchy as far as showing finances on how you know whenever they said the splits, they they didn't want to show the books. I mean, there's been a lot of sketchy things going on in baseball to where the players at this point are saying, yeah, look, we're giving you face. We're saying we will play. On this point, it's in your hands because you can't figure out the best way to make it convenient for you to make money. See, and I'm this may not be popular, but I'm I'm kind of blaming the players here. You know, and they're like, oh, well, we don't want to have to pay for reduced salaries and we don't want to have to show up for work when we could be in, in jeopardy. And I'm like, what is the rest of America doing right now? Working on less money than they normally get having to go to work and take risks of catching coronavirus. And let's be honest, MLB, they're going to have tons of money of sanitizing everything and have all these systems in place to try and keep these guys healthy and lower their risk. Way more than we risk going to work. You know, we don't have the funding of MLB behind us to make sure our work environment is, is sanitized. So I feel like if the rest of America is working on less money and taking the same risk going to their jobs, why can't you do it? playing baseball and you're only playing 50 games you shouldn't be making as much money for playing you know if justin verlander is going to make maybe 11 or 12 starts you know if, if it goes down like this not 30 so if his money is 
you know, accordingly a little less than that. And I haven't heard Justin say anything, so this isn't about him. I'm just using him as an example because he's a starting pitcher, and you don't play as much if you're if you're a starting pitcher. So I'm just like, if you know, the rest of America is making these sacrifices, then come on, guys, go play some baseball. Give us something to watch, a little bit of normalcy back in the world. You know, figure it out, get it done. Let's get it done. Let's get some sports because that's all we want to see at this point. If um, you as a player, though, Aaron, what would what would your thoughts be? If would you be risking to come back if you weren't getting paid the full amount? Personally, I would, but that's. I mean, I would also like to think, looking in the mirror, I'd go, "I'm I'm getting paid to play a child's game. Like I'm getting paid a lot of money to play games that we all started playing when we were six, seven years old. Yep. If I'm doing that, cool. If it's for fifty games, cool. If it Especially being a team that's, like, say you're on the Blue Jays, on the White Sox, a team that on a normal season you're going, eh, they might not be there yet. The White Sox got a really young team. They got some stars where all you have to do is get hot for 50 games. We see teams do it all the time. You get hot for 50 games, you go into the playoffs, you have a chance to steal a championship, technically, because you got hot at the right time. But if, if players want to... Bitch and moan and, no, you promised me this much money and I won't play for that much. Fine. Shut down the whole thing. Don't play until 2021. And then get even more pissed when the next big free agent class comes up where you see guys going, oh, I'm going to make that $440 million. I'm going to get that big, that Bryce Harper money. I'm going to get that Mike Trout money. Nope, not anymore because teams didn't make as much money. Sucks to be you. He's right. And there's no lock that – you know, COVID's going to be figured out next season. Like, we don't know that. No. You know what I mean? We don't know exactly. that. Like, so, you know, go play. And for the Astros, this is huge for them. This is their window, right? George Springer, last year of his deal. Yuli, last year of his deal. You know, Verlander and Grinky. you know, this is at least the backside of their prime, right? You know, this is when the Astros need to get this done. That This is their window because who knows? They could look like a completely different team next season. Let's take it to a normal the working, just everyday man, I'm not saying that baseball's not working. I'm just saying the everyday working guy, female, if it was you in that position and it was like, man, I need to go back to my job or or I might not get that that raise next year or however we want to put it, we would get back. We yes. would say, you know what, man, I can't risk that because someone else is going to take it. If AJ said, hey, you want to do Moneyline again? No. Or if we're going to start another show, it's like. I don't care. I have to go in. I have to do it. And it gets to a point to where, yes, you have to do take a, a risk, but the reward is your career. Like you said, you're playing a game that, that as a kid, that's what you came up. Now you're getting paid millions. Now those millions might become less millions, but you're still being able to provide. It's not setting you back. It's not setting back the guys that need it, not setting back the guys that don't make that much money. It's not a just you thing. It's overall, and we got to think about it together. We need sports back. We need this last segment to give you these bets. Let's win some money. We need a goal. ESPN 97.5. One, two, what you doing? I've been jumping through some Years of research and innovation. Innovation Map is the new voice of innovation in Houston. Pretty cool, huh, Morty? Covering startups, tech, energy, health, social impact, and more. Visit innovationmap.com today. Do it now. Do it. Do it. Do it now. You're listening to Moneyline on ESPN 97.5. And 
on ESPN975.com. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here's Jerry Bowe and Josh Jordan. Welcome back to Moneyline, the last segment. About seven minutes here to get it in, get you a few bets, get you a few laughs, and, you know, kind of recap what we did here because it's it was a long layoff and we had so much to get off our chest that I don't think we got to all of it, man. Between the Astros, the Yankees news, actually, let's not even talk Astros. Let's leave these guys out of it. Do you Yankees step up? It's your time to uh, pay. And uh, that's what we tried to get here today. It's uh, It was a confessional hour, basically. We confessed as Astro fans that we did do this and we did do that. And we received our punishment. But now it's time for you to confess. And that's what we're waiting on. It is. And, uh, man, I, I hope it's bad. I, I just – I'm so upset with the Yankees and their fans. And, I mean – Boy, John Boy, did you see how much he was getting called out on Twitter yesterday? I just hate how he hits the backpedal and starts saying that he's not going to assume or, or, you know, saying things like that. But you sure as hell assumed on those on those buzzards. You know what I mean? It was one thing whenever in, – and, in, in, yeah, he did his due diligence on things as far as the banging and, and all that. But once he started throwing buzzers, and I started losing – his credibility to me went to nothing because I knew that he was looking for something. And if it was anybody else other – Say some more things would have became about the Astros. He would already been on it. Right now, he's saying, I'm just going to sit here and wait. And that's what all Yankee fans are going to do. Some Yankee fans might steal each other's takes. Go, you know, just to, just to justify, like, man, I know we're about to get it. What is John Boy going to say? And I know that someone's going to do that out there this week. No, and that's why I'm kind of cool with their reputation's already been tainted now, the Yankees, because of this story. Like, p- people know there's some cheating going on. And. Just to your point about the buzzers with the Astros, everybody just ran with it and assumed that was true, and there's no proof of that. So sometimes just your perception in the media is enough punishment enough to where I think you know, people now are looking side-eyed at the Yankees like, man, they were cheating too. We know the Red Sox were. And everybody forgets about the Apple Watch thing with the Yankees. They've already been punished by MLB for doing this stuff with the Apple Watch scandal. It's just nobody talked about that in the same way. It's the national media just ganged up on the Astros. So hopefully the Yankees get their due. They get this gets outed. But obviously this is nothing that Manfred doesn't already know because he's the one that sent that letter to the Yankees. So he knows what's in it. So there's not going to be any new revelation to him. It's just the public's going to also know what he knows. And that's what I find very interesting. I find that interesting as well. By the next time we talk, we'll know a lot more. We'll yes. see what came out of that. We'll see if it was just a smoke screen. If it, if these uh, hundred DraftKings players have a ground to stand on, or are they just, is it their lawyers trying to pull every last string before they get shut down again? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, but there's something there. Yeah. And that's something we deserve. Not saying that we put on those Astros uniforms and we won the World Series, but we as fans have taken the, the, the other end of this, right? The end of having to suck this all up and, and everyone coming at us and saying, I mean, people were throwing the hurricane into things. People were throwing us as, I mean, questioning us as people, as a city. You know what I mean? And and now it's like, hold on. You Yankee fans were doing it too. Dodgers, you're next. Uh, Red Sox fan, you better sit down too. You better sit down right now because there's something on you too. There's some, and, and not only them, it's funny because we named three or four teams, the three big ones, you know, the three big major market teams. But it's said that... Half the league, at least, has already said, man, we do it in one way or another. We do it as well, and we got to put a stop to this. And here's the problem, right, is it's the cheating has impacted the World Series, right? Because the Astros won it in 17. 
you know, and then the Red Sox who got involved in the scandal, they won it in 18. And then in 19, well, we know it was the Nationals, but the Astros were back in the World Series again. So that's where baseball, they're trying to distance themselves from like, oh, well, the cheating is, has changed who's won the championship every year when it clearly it's had some kind of impact. But, you know, I don't, I don't think the Astros were cheating last year. You know, the national media seems to think so. They think Altuve had on a buzzer when he hit the home run off of Chapman. I don't buy that. I don't think they've been cheating, but they painted them that way to where people believe that. And we talked about this earlier in the show. Most of the big media comes from the L.A. markets and the New York markets. Both of them have to, an axe to grind against the Astros because of the Dodgers and the Yankees. I mean, look at what we were talking about. Tattoo gate. Yes. You know, we were, we were trying to decipher the tattoo of one uh, Altuve. Uh, after, after, uh, this is what we've come to? Yeah. I mean, we're talking about what the tattoo was or what did, what did he say under, you know, what, what, let's lip read what he said right before he got to home plate. That's what we came to? All because one John Boy? All because one fires? You know what I mean? It's, it all comes. When will this ever happen again? Will there ever be a snitch enough of Mike Fires, someone to to do that? You think in a locker room, or or because of, this has been going on for years? It'll it'll happen. There's always going to be a player that's not on the team anymore that maybe has some bitter feelings that that will talk. I mean, the Astros. That's why they stopped the trash can banging. They knew that eventually somebody was going to talk about it, so they stopped doing that. Whether they started using other ways, you know, nobody really knows. But that's a fact. They should have done trash can prenups. Like, <laughs> while we're together, this is the way going down. After, you're not taking anything from us, okay? Because, at, but how many other snitches have seen these other teams and not really said, like, like I said, I, I, I resort to, or I go back to that, uh, to share a article that I read and, like he says it, and he tries to bend it a little bit. He says, "Well, there was no electronic, but there was communication from the replay room. It just wasn't in live." And you're thinking, "No." And then the three guys that he names are guys that come up in all these other reports. So, is is where does LeBron James at this? Because I saw John <laughs> Granado, you know, type that, and I hadn't even thought about that. And I'm thinking. So what is that gonna? What is that document uh, documentary gonna be like? How's that gonna sound now? Is he gonna be realistic? Is it even gonna come out? Like how, yeah. how's this gonna work? Is he gonna talk about the Red Sox? Is he gonna talk about the Yankees? That I mean, that's just something you definitely have to consider because I doubt he will. And and that's the thing. He only sticks his hand in things when it's his, to his convenience. And that's what I've lost a lot of respect for him in certain aspects. I respect him as a player, and I respect that during his career, um, not much bad could be said about him as far as the way he's acted. But as far as what he could have done to help in certain situations, you see that he pulls his hand back whenever it could burn him. You know, he's like, man, let me let me not mess with this. No, and. The one thing too is you know that buzzer video where they may make it look like Altuve had the buzzer on. John Boy in the New York market, they edited that video. They make it look like Altuve ran across home plate and, and held his jersey on and then ran right to the dugout. The actual video, he's on the field celebrating for over two minutes before he goes to the dugout. They edited the video to where it looks like he ran right to the dugout. So it, it really is fake news in that situation. A lot of people just believe that's what happened, and it's not true. What is true is this last bet. Real Sociedad, before we get out of here, go to Spain. It starts at three. Bet them money line. I think they win today. Real Madrid, bet them live at minus one during that game as well. Signing off for the squad. Thank you for joining us on the reunion here. It's Josh. It's Aaron. It's Jerry Bonos. Enjoy your Sunday. Peace. Listening to ESPN 97.5.